Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Siemens Media Managing Editor and Prep Girls Soccer Writer, Mike Z. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time today. Great to be here, Matt. Exciting time of year. It is. It is. We're approaching the prep season, boys and girls, just as we sit here now, just about two weeks away from, from opening day for, for both boys and girls. So we're going to do our season preview episode today. Mike is well-versed in the girls' prep scene, so we'll talk to him about that, and then we'll flip it, and Mike will ask me some questions on the boys' prep scene, and we'll do our best to try to get the listeners out there ready for the, for the upcoming 2023 season. So, Mike, as we start here... The best jumping off point, I think, in the girls' prep scene is probably to hit the Founders League, just because coming off a year last year where it was a tight race and a lot of strong teams and perennially a a great league in New England, where do things kind of stand in the Founders League? How are things shaping up coming into this season, and who are some of the powers, you think? Yeah, understood. There's a couple ways we could have teed this up at the start. Obviously, you have a a three-time defending Class A NEPSAC champion on the other side of uh, New England and Buckingham, Brown, and Nichols, (laughs) and and we'll certainly talk about that program as as we get into this podcast, but the, the Founders League is very intriguing for me. I mean, you look at a lot of traditionally strong teams that in the last two years since we've been back from the pandemic has really left a mark in, in New England soccer. Two years ago, they produced five of the eight Class A playoff teams. Last year, they produced three of the four semifinalists in Class A, BB and N being, being the other. And it's really, you know, kind of set up this dynamic with four teams at the top of the league that have really had some terrific battles. And I think we can expect more of those battles this year. Those are, you know, terrifically fun games to watch. Those four teams, obviously, you have um, Choate, you have Miss Porters, you have Westminster, and you have Loomis Chafee. I think you can kind of say those four are maybe a cut above in the Founders. Uh, three of those teams, again, made the Class A semis last year. They played a total of eight matches head-to-head last fall, whether in the playoffs or in the regular season. Two were ties, five were decided by one goal. Only one of those matches was decided by more than one goal. There's such a fine line. Uh, among those four teams, and I think that's what makes the league really fun. Yeah, in, in talking to the coaches, I know uh, you and I have both been compiling preview information, and we had a lot of that in our, our recent uh, magazine issue that, that's out now and available online, our, our season preview issue. But in, in discussions you've had with Founders League coaches, do they do they point to a certain team or uh, as the favorite, or is it just kind of... It could break different ways. Yeah, they, they point to any team but themselves being the favorite, <laughs> is what I've noticed. Uh, Typical the, coach. Yeah. The last couple of years. So it's kind of us up to us to read between the lines. And, and obviously, it's it's soccer. Games are not won on paper in the preseason. They're, they're won when you, you take the field and, and your players do things a little more special than, than the others. And so we have a number of those battles to look forward to. So you look at those four teams, and if I had to pick one, and it would be not by a lot, it might be a small margin, but maybe I think Choate heads into the season as the team to beat in the Founders League, and obviously one of the teams that we might expect in November to give BBNN a run for that title. Yeah, are there some, I know we were talking about this before we jumped on the air here, but just in terms of college committed players, it's a funny trend that I've seen in preps that a lot of 
the players and the girls prep side have committed more so than the boys. I think a lot of things are still falling into place. I know in discussions I've had with boys prep coaches that players are still narrowing the field. Are there some players on those Founders League teams, maybe some college committed players, maybe not even college committed players, just players that have have been highly successful already at the prep ranks that, that you're looking at or that other, other coaches know they have to focus on when they play them? Oh, yeah, every team's got them, and not just the top four in the Founders League. I mean, you go you go right through the Hotchkiss and, and the Tafts and, and programs like that. But sticking with Choate, not a ton of committed players, but two that really stand out are a couple postgrads that they're adding mm. uh, up front, which should really bolster the, the attack there. And one is uh, Gabby Tirado. Committed to Marist, coming off a, a terrific, I think, I believe, all-American career at Cheshire High School mm. in, in Connecticut. And uh, Madison Mariani is another one. She's committed to Brown. She comes from Ontario. They're going to add to what's already a pretty robust chode attack and really make that, that offense very formidable this year, I believe. Yeah. You, we, we, you mentioned this when we talked about the jumping off point with the Founders League. I mean, the elephant in the room with girls prep is... BBNN, Buckingham, Brown, and Nichols. I mean, they have just been dominant over the last few years. Interesting thing, though, they've, they've had, they've lacked that coaching continuity. They've, they've gone through a few coaches over the last few years, and they've still, even in spite of that, been the dominant program in New England and, and really just a force. Uh, what are you hearing about BBNN this year? I mean, is it going to be more of the same? Or, or, or do you think the, the outside view is that maybe they can be challenged more so this year than other years? Yeah, it's uh, right now on to their fourth coach in three seasons. Crazy. And this is Haley Kutkowski, who comes very highly regarded, a, a, quite a player in her own right. Played at Rutgers, where she was a three-year captain. So hmm. there's some leadership skills right there that she's bringing to the table. So I think maybe you thought last year with a new coach coming in, uh, after the great run that Graham Blackman had over, over those years, winning the last two Class A NEPSAC titles, that there, there might be a chance to, to move in. And that, that really wasn't the case. They weren't as dominant last year, BBNN, as they were in 2021. Mm-hmm. But they didn't lose either. They, they had a great escape in the quarterfinals, a great match against Noble and Greeno that they had to rescue very late in regulation and then, and then win in stoppage. And, and then they cruised through from there. So I don't know if you're looking at a, a, a drop-off as much as maybe some other teams have positioned themselves to, to challenge them a, a little bit. We'll certainly see some results early in the season, and we can kind of draw some inferences there. But uh, yeah, they're the team to beat. Every coach in the ISL that I talked to and asked that question said said the same. Sure, uh, and maybe that's their track record. Maybe that's the talent of their players. They do have very talented players. They start the year with the target on their back, no question. Now you've seen them obviously in big moments in in the NEPSAC uh, championship games the, la- the last couple of years. What is it about that talent aside? We obviously know they 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 have uh, great players all over the field. But what is it about their style of play that you think? makes them so challenging or, or do you hear from other coaches about what is it about them that makes them just such a, a, a machine? I mean, they're defensively clinical. They just don't give up chances and any mistakes at the other end, they certainly make you pay because they've got talent at every position. And when you talk about this year's BBNN team, I mean, that's, it's going to start with center back Caitlin Mara and yeah. North Carolina commit right. a key part of that defense for years. She's the leader back there. One of the top players in the region uh, without question. Um, she'll be leading another talented uh BBNN defense, and, and that's not the only position that they're they're very good at. They've got a lot of talent uh, just about every position on the field. Who else might be able to challenge in the ISL? Yeah, and that swings us back to, oh, you, uh, back to the ISL, a curveball there, okay. <laughs> it's a baseball podcast. So, uh, yeah, I guess sticking with the ISL, the two teams that, you know, I heard the most and, and coaches mentioned the most as potential challengers, and you look at what they have on paper, are Thayer first and then Nobles. Mm. 
and not to say that those are going to be the only two teams that can give this a run. Uh, but I think in particular, I think Thayer is set up uh, very well. It, it's a good a group of talented players that's been together for a while. I think they have, I think what did Nick, Coach Nick Rignetta said, something like 20 players are back from, wow. from last year's team where they were a playoff team. Third-year goalie and junior Maddie Parrott, so that's definitely an asset back there. Emily Pimentel on defense, yep. another one. And then you talk about the return of Nadia Casamajor right. from the ACL injury last year. So you throw her up front or on the wing with last year's breakout eighth grader, Nina Mathless. I, I saw her play yeah. <clears throat> during the club season. And man, I mean, every match I saw her play, she was the best player on the field. I mean, she was just a playmaking extraordinaire. And you're right, that was, that was the name that was going to come to mind. You throw her in the mix. That's a great... That's a great combination with all that other talent. Yeah, to have that kind of a, a rep entering your freshman year of, <laughs> of prep prep school soccer. So, Pretty ridiculous. Yeah, so there, there's some good players, and, and, and Nobles is another team. That was the team that came the closest to ending it to, for BBNN last year. They, they played twice, one nothing loss in the regular season, and then that playoff game where they were literally minutes away from closing out that, that quarterfinal upset and, and just couldn't bring it across the finish line. So they've got some players as well, and, and they, they got graduated a, a bit, probably more than, more than Thayer. Caitlin Driscoll in the midfield going to Syracuse is a, is a good player. Mm-hmm. They're going to need to replace an all-world goalie in Eliza Teplo, who's now at Northeastern, I believe. So mm-hmm. there's some things that they're going to have to work on in the preseason and early season, but they, they could be a formidable team before all, all is said and done. Obviously, within the ISL, everyone, all these teams see BBNN every year, and they know what BBNN is all about and, and the challenges they, they present. Do teams in the Founders League, I mean, obviously they, they cross over and Founders League teams play ISL teams sometimes, but do teams in the Founders League feel like they can compete with BBNN? And the second part of that is, do you think Founders League coaches think the Founders League is the best league? Or do you think, and ISL, I mean, what's like the, the respect level for between those two leagues, do you think, between the coaches? Yeah, I don't think I've had a, anyone I've talked to come out and actually <laughs> state it in those, in those terms. <laughs> right. I think, you, you know, you take a step back and you look, uh, BBNN has won the last three Class A championships. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that goes hard to argue with. Saying. That. Yeah, you right. can't you can't mess with that. Is the the Founders League a little deeper in the top tier than the ISL? I, I think you can make a case for that. And, and part of that is you have programs that, that bring in the post grad players, so the overall talent level can be right. a little more experienced and a little better. <laughs> but I just what we touched on earlier, right? Just that that four team dynamic in the Founders League going into the season, kind of picking up from where we were where we left off last year when they, were, they had so many good battles. You got Choate, you got Miss Porters, which three players in its senior class all going on to New Hampshire to play collegiate soccer, a good program up in up in Durham. So that's a, a kind of a statistical quirk, but also shows that this is a good group of, of players and they'll be bringing, bringing stuff to the field. Westminster reached the Class A championship game last year and, and lost to BBNN, and they got hit a little bit by graduation, especially on defense and in goal, where they had top players there, so... So maybe they're starting from a maybe a step back compared to the other the other teams, and then there's uh, Loomis Chafee, which was a, a semifinalist last year, took out uh, Worcester Academy in the quarterfinals, and that was a good good Worcester Academy team. So you look at those four teams and and the battles that they're going to have, and not to overlook the other programs because you do have you have Hotchkiss with a with a new coach, and, and you have Kent and Taft and, and some of those. So you're not going to look past those teams, but when you look at those head to head battles among those four teams, if you can come out of those. With a winning record, you've set yourself up well for the postseason. If somehow you play those three opponents and you lose, that's a big hit on your playoff resume. So you you got to get something out of those games, and I think they're they're going to start up soon enough, and we're going to see who's going to get out, get stuff out of those games. 
going outside of those two power leagues, the Founders and the ISL, I know there's a bunch of other teams of note from around the region, teams that have made noise, you know, your Pingrees, your Brewster Academies. I know you have some, some info on them. Who are some teams outside of those two, those two powerhouse leagues that we should watch for? Yeah, I think it starts with Worcester Academy, yeah. and, and you know about that program. Jen's been in this, yep. in this chair before talking right. about her program. They were a little younger last year. Two years ago, they were the Class A finalists that got to match up against BB&N in the, in, the, in the final, and then last year exiting in the quarterfinals with maybe a younger group. This year, definitely more experience, and you, you talk about a team that, that checks a lot of the boxes. Nicole Jadoin going to Louisville up mm-hmm. front. you got Avery Galante, a you know, steady senior in the midfield, going to South Carolina, Caroline Beerfeld. <laughs> Those are powerhouse commitments, it, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holy, Holy <laughs> yeah. Cross, she's playing yeah. in the back. So there, there's good balance and there's good depth with Worcester. They, they've been in the playoffs the last couple of years. I don't expect that to change, and they'll challenge themselves too. They'll play some top opponents throughout the season and, and get a good measure of where they are, what they need to do better before the, uh, the big games arrive in November. How about um, a Pingree? Uh, I know Doc um, Simpson runs a great uh, program there, and they, they're always in the mix. What do you see from them? Are they going to be right back there again this year? Yeah, absolutely. No reason for them to go away. Eight starters back, hmm. uh, according to Doc, to Doc when, we, when we spoke, uh, and four double-digit scorers back. Wow. So there's girls who can have proved that they can put the – Put the ball in the net, and it's just a, it's a matter of rounding out the other pieces and trying to get that, that cohesion and that team chemistry that was on display so well last November when they, when they ran to the Class B title. Mm. And then up in the Lakes region, which is a region that I don't think often gets the respect it deserves. Still some great soccer up there with your, on the boys' and girls' side, but Brewster Academy is always the team that comes to mind on the girls' side. Are they going to be strong again? Hey, if you go by scenery, definitely. It's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's it's got a place to campus, watch a, yeah. camp, uh, a soccer match <laughs> in New know. England right on the lake. It's I mean, true. Gosh, I don't know how many business trips I tried to finagle <laughs> up there to do stories. and spend, But uh, yeah, I, and Matt Butcher does a great job, and, yeah. he, and he has for years. And, and when you look at Brewster, you look at their midfield tandem. Yeah. And that's Kira Charette and Lauren Christie. Both recent commits. Kira's going to Trinity yep. to play in the NESCAC, and Lauren just committed to Holy Cross. Uh, she's a junior. So you look at those two players, and they'll build around that. But yeah, that's that's the class of the Lakes region right now. It's the two-time defending Class C champion. So certainly no reason to, to look past, past Brewster. Yeah, it's funny. We do these coaches' surveys in the offseason. One of the questions we ask is, what's your favorite road venue to play at? And it, I mean, every answer is Brewster. I mean, there's not yeah. even anything close. I mean, that, that field right on the lake is, is gorgeous. In the early fall, you get some foliage in the background. That's, that's phenomenal. Overall, what do you expect from this girls' prep soccer season? Do you, do you think it's going to be a lot of the traditional powers, once again, that we've come to know? I mean, do you think there's – are there any surprises you think might happen this year? What's kind of your forecast? Yeah, there's going to be surprises, and, and no, I don't know what they're going to be. That's why they're surprises. <laughs> but No, I think we've had a pretty good body of work now. So you, you go – the last two seasons, you call it the restart seasons, right, because we missed out on, on 20, 2020. Right. And we, we've seen the programs that have really established themselves as, as the ones to beat. And I'm not saying the, you can pick the, the tournament fields right now in, in Class A and Class B because obviously some teams are going to be better than, than they look on, on paper. And, and when we didn't touch a lot on Class B, we know that Pingree won. And, and that's where you see a lot of these smaller ISL programs putting together good seasons and going on to the playoffs. So I right. think it's worth mentioning a few of those. Yeah, Lawrence Academy, first of all, that was a team that was in the Class B final last year, mm-hmm. losing to Pingree. A huge loss for them, Sahana Mars. I saw that in your pre... That's, yeah. that's, that's a tough loss. Out for the season yeah. with a knee injury. Right. She's obviously a Division One player, so that's going to be a big loss, but they've got some good players around her. When the other teams... I, I look at Brooks. 
I, I look at Brooks, a playoff team a year ago that will, will try to punch up above its size. Mm-hmm. Luniando going to Northeastern, great player for them. They've got a great goalie, and I wish I'd written her name down, but it's it's slipping me. But they, they have a heck of a goalie. Is it Lena Gibbs? It's Lena yeah, Gibbs. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's Thank right. you. That's why he's sitting next to me. You know? <laughs> I get lucky once in a while. You know. And then you have a you have a team like Rivers that's traditionally been strong and struggled last year, winning just one one game. Yeah. So you got to think there's going to be some kind of bounce back there. Tabor's again a, a, a class A team. They graduated eleven seniors, so not sure what they have in, in the cupboard, but uh, obviously some good players. And and you got Middlesex and you got Milton, two teams that that definitely held their own and will be looking to t- take steps forward and maybe cr- crash into that that class B tournament. So yeah. There's, there's teams all over the New England landscape. Some of them, we, we kind of know that they're going to be good, mm-hmm. just what they've done the last couple of years, what they have on paper. And some of them are going to surprise us. And that's some of the, the, the things we're going to cover between now and uh, November. Right, right. And it's it's quick. I mean, it's like a sprint. You get past Labor Day, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's NEPSAC Championship Weekend in November. It's... It's a quick two-month season, and Mike just dropped a, a bunch of knowledge that, that will help our listeners navigate through the season. We're going to switch it now, and, and Mike's going to fire some questions at me about the, uh, the boys' prep scene, and we'll do our best to, uh, to forecast what will happen on that end. Yeah, that's, that's great, and, and I, I enjoy getting educated about this, this level that I don't cover nearly as much, and, and maybe we start at the jumping-off point. You, that great Class A championship game you saw last season, PK's. Worcester Academy uh, yep. program, we've seen what they've been able to do, not just the last couple of years, but throughout probably the tenure of New England Soccer Journal. But uh, start with them. They're the champs. What do you see from them, and, and uh, what do you expect? Yeah, we, <laughs> I, I pat myself on the back because that's one I got right last year where we had Worcester Academy on the cover of our, our season preview magazine, and they made us look real smart by going undefeated and winning Class A and just having a phenomenal season last year. But honestly, that championship game against Milton Academy could have gone either way. It went, it went deep into PKs. Milton actually took the lead early on in that game, one nothing, and Worcester had to battle back and just had that, that no quit, that, that, that attitude they had all year where they were just, they had that chip on their shoulder and they were out to win a championship. And they had a lot of Division I talent. I believe they had six Division I commits last year on that team. Those players are all gone. So, you wonder, like, there's a lot of holes to fill there. Will they fill them? And if you talk to James Proctor, their coach, he says, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be great again. We're going to compete. We went 19-0-1 last year. We've lost one game in the last two years. So they're the number one team in our preseason top 10 because, you know, the kind of rule is before, before you can get knocked off that top perch, someone has to knock you off. So they still have plenty of talent. They still have Dean Linden, their goalkeeper. He's committed to UMass. Uh, they have a great defensive player in Christian Heichel, who's committed to Providence. He's a senior, just recently committed to Providence. So they're going to be strong probably defensively. And the way they operate is that they usually have playmakers who can who can create goals. So I don't think that will be a problem. So they're definitely going to be in the mix, and, and we'll see what happens. They play everybody during their regular season schedule. Anybody anybody who's anyone in, in New England prep soccer, they play. They don't, they don't shy away from anyone. So we'll know what they're about. By October, we'll, we'll know if they're if they're a real contender or not. But if you listen to James, they're going to be in the mix again. Yeah, and, and there's some similarities that that the boys prep scene and the girls prep scene in New England share. Whereas you have the you have the strong teams in the ISL who have great battles every year, and then you have the the, the strong teams in the founders, and then teams from outside those leagues like Worcester Academy, and especially on the boys side, some teams from maybe the western part of New England that that are capable of doing things. So. You want, why don't you tackle the two leagues that we primarily cover, Matt? Maybe start with the ISL. Milton, so close uh, last year to winning it all. Uh, what about them, and, and what else can you expect in that league? Sure. Milton, 
appears to be the favorite this year. I mean, they return a lot, uh, a lot of talent, and they and they've been they've been in the mix every year, um, pretty much for the, for the last decade. It seems like, and they're going to be right there again. Chris Kane is is notoriously he he doesn't want to play things up too much in the preseason. He's kind of let's let's see what happens. We got some talent. We'll, we'll be in the mix, but they have the reigning Gatorade Player of the Year in Massachusetts and Khan in Inoglu coming back, a forward who who led the ISL in scoring last year and just a, a phenomenal playmaker. And he's got plenty of talent coming back with him up front. So they're going to score a lot of goals. They're going to defend. They have, I'd say, 10 to 12 key returners back from last year who, who were part of that mix, who, who went to the Class A championship. And that loss to Worcester Academy was the only loss they suffered all season. So they went through that ISL schedule last year without a blemish, a few ties along the way, but no losses they're going to be right in the mix again. I think they would they would be the favorite in talking to other ISL coaches. They're the first team that everyone comes to and, and says, "Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be the one we're chasing." I, I think it, it's not a clear. I, I mean, I think if you talk to like Rivers and and you talk to some other uh, teams, Saint Sebastian's had a great year last year, and Brooks won Class B last year. Although Willie Waters, the Brooks coach, thinks. This could be a bit of a rebuilding year. They've lost a lot. They lost Harry Bertos, who's now playing at Washington, and um, they had some D1 commits on that team last year. So they got shoes to fill, but Brooks will be in the mix. I think Rivers is the team that can challenge the most. They got, I'm going to look it up right now, they have five college commits right now. So they're going to be a team that you have to pay attention. Adam Prince, uh, a senior midfielder, he's committed to Bowdoin. Uh, Griffin Bone, a senior defender, is committed to Tufts. Arthur Dos Santos, a senior forward, is also going to Bowdoin. Senior midfielder Keegan Harder is going to Middlebury. And an interesting one, senior defender Charlie Johnson, who's the son of Ted Johnson, former Patriots linebacker, he's committed to Middlebury as well. So they have NESCAC talent on this on this team, five players, which is a lot. And a lot, all those guys, a lot of them play club together with IFA New England, so they've been playing in the offseason together. So I think Rivers is the one that could probably challenge Milton. That's yeah, funny you mentioned Ted Johnson. I just uh, had a lacrosse post go up uh, yesterday <laughs> that mentioned Christian Fourier's ah. daughter is, uh, is, is attracting college interest. So all these great Patriot Super Bowl right. champions are, kids are settling here and uh, giving us a next generation of athletes. Makes me feel old, man. I was a kid watching <laughs> Ted Johnson. That's making me feel real old. But, but yeah, that'll be, that'll be a fun team, and, and that's a fun story, Ted's, Ted's son playing soccer. Yeah. Anything else from the ISL? Any, any dark horses that come to mind, or is that something that's got to kind of be – developed uh, with results and, 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 and games uh, under their belts? It will be developed, but I think St. Sebastian's is, is an interesting story to follow. They came out of nowhere last year and made the Class A tournament, and they got a big-time scorer in Jack Mulka, senior forward. I believe he was top three in the ISL in scoring last year. And to go with him, they have Brendan Schmidt, a midfielder. So they have two of the better playmakers in the league. They're not going to take anybody by surprise. I mean, I, I don't know really that any ISL team ever takes anybody by surprise, but... They did a bit last year. Woody Redpath is considered one of the better coaches in, in New England. New Hampshire guy. Oh, got to get that in there. The pride. Granite State. But they're going to be right there again. And they gave Worcester Academy a pretty decent game in the quarterfinals last year. It was a 3 nothing final, but they competed. They didn't just, it wasn't, it wasn't a blowout. And Worcester was the best team in New England. So they, went, they weren't afraid to go, go up against that team. They're going to be good again this year. Uh, the other teams that I think could make some noise are Nobles. Um, they're going to be in the mix. Nobles had a good season last year. Uh, BB&N will be solid again, as usual. Um, Nobles, actually, 
last year in the in the Class B semis, they took uh, Williston Northampton to PKs after a zero zero uh, regulation match. So Williston Northampton ended up losing to Brooks in the in the championship. So Nobles is expecting another run this year. I think they're going to be in the mix for sure. Okay. All right, it's good. Good comprehensive look at the ISL on the eve of the new season. Let's swing it out west to the founders. Give me your your tiers here, the teams that you think should be considered the teams to beat going into the season. I think Avon Old Farms is probably the the favorite if we're basing it on on what happened last year. Although you hear from from people in the know that Choate is going to be very strong again. The two teams that I'm looking at really to kind of bounce back are Taft and Loomis Chafee. Loomis had a down year last year by their standards. They have a new head coach in Scott Halpern who's going to try to right the ship. They always have the talent. I mean, there's no question that Loomis has talent and can compete. They're a, they're a Founders League power every year. Taft had that sensational yep. 2021 season where they went similar. Classic Class A championship match. They lost to Northfield Mount Hermon in PKs. Last year, they weren't bad. They still won 10 games last year. They, were, they, they failed to make the, the playoffs, but I think Ozzy Parente is, is pretty happy with, with what they have. I think he's expecting bigger things this year. They've added uh, a post-grad in Henry Bacon, who's going to be a key player for them. Preston Alessio, a junior midfielder forward who's been big on the club scene. He's going to be a potential breakout player for them. So they like what they have. Taft is, is kind of, you can't really call them a dark horse because they're Taft and, and they're always a strong program. But that's a team I'm looking at. And, and like we said, Avon and Choate are going to be right in the mix as well. I, I kind of laugh when you reference these uh, these great Class A championship games you've covered the last couple of years that, that go down to the wire, go down to PKs, and, <laughs> and the ones I've seen on the girls' side when we go our separate ways are over by halftime. You know, and, uh, we'll you're, be you're... texting. We'll be texting. You'll say, I, I already filed that story. I'm like, I'm in the 33rd round of, the, of PKs. You're right settling now. in watching the PKs. My gamer's written. But, uh, yeah, just it, it's interesting. So hopefully this year a little more excitement in the girls' final. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the, the games that lead up to it are, are terrific, are terrifically competitive. But, Absolutely. Uh, so Taft and Loomis, and who else is out there? Well, I think Avon actually could end up being Class A championship contender. They have Shakar Motapali, a senior midfielder who's tremendous, and he had a great club season, I believe, for FSAFC. So he's coming off really some strong play. And they, they competed. They were 14-4-2 last year, but they competed with everybody. Even the four losses were like one-goal games, maybe a two-goal game, but they were in everything. And Avon is just a powerhouse. I saw them play in Albany last September. I'll be there again this September. All these teams will be at the, the Next Level Showcase in, in Albany, which is a great take if anyone's ever looking to watch it. And it's not too far away from anyone in New England. All these powerhouse programs from New England and beyond, I think there's like 14 states represented there. They show up and it's just great matches. But I saw Avon play there last September and I was like, this team is going to be a force. Okay. And I remember talking to coaches then and they're like, oh yeah, they're going to be a force for a couple of years. They got some younger players. They're going to be right in the mix again. And Choate will be there again. Choate lost some key players, but they're excited about senior forward Drew John Batiste, who was out last year with an injury, missed the entire season, but he's back this year. He's healthy. He's a captain. And I, I know Charlie Fuentes is, is, is really excited about what he's going to bring to the field, and I think he's, he likes what he has back. Okay. You touched on Worcester at the start of your segment, what they did last year and what you expect them to do this year. Outside of the ISL, outside of the Founders, there's a lot of good programs in New England, boys and girls. Who are some of the boys' programs that are kind of on your radar in late August as we head into new seasons? Well, the one that jumps out is our, our cover feature for this most recent magazine, Phillips Andover. This is a year where I think Phillips Andover is a team that everyone expects to be strong. They missed, they, they were nine, won nine matches last year, just missed the Class A tournament. 
They're really excited about what, about what they have. They have a defender in Garrett Holman who's committed to Syracuse. They have a bunch of just talented Liam Rourke, a transfer from Tabor Academy for a post-grad year. They have a lot of talent, and, and I think they're excited. Edwin Escobar thinks this could be a year where they really make some noise. I mean, when I was down there at practice a few weeks back, they were talking about, we want to win a championship, a yep. Class A championship. So, I mean, obviously they're thinking postseason at the least, and then they're thinking making noise in November. So they're not shying away from expectations. They feel good about what they have. Other coaches mention them as a team to really pay attention to. Uh, the other one, is, of course, is Northfield Mount Hermon. I yep. mean, every single year they're loaded. They're loaded again this year. Should be a top three, four team throughout the season in New England. Just probably the best defensive unit in, in all of New England with Babacar Diallo. They just, they're just loaded with a big, physical, strong defense. It's going to be tough to get goals on them. Uh, they have a post-grad in Gavin Krause, who's committed to uh, Colgate. They're loaded at every position. I think they're going to make a ton of noise. They should make another deep run. And the other interesting one is Williston-Northampton after getting to the Class B championship last year. But I think they lost a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. So they are one of those programs that can easily reload. We'll see what they have this year. But I think they kind of made a bit of a surprising run to the Class B championship last year. So we'll see how they follow that up. And then the other one is Suffield Academy, which is is thinking big. They're, they're hyped up for what they have back. They have... Uh, dozen or so returners, key returners from last year, guys who saw a lot of minutes. So they're they're feeling like they can make a run. They play a tough schedule during the regular season. They think they can get into that Class B tournament and then make some noise. It's funny that you mentioned Andover on the cover. I was hoping th- those covers would be in the office when we got in today, so we could be <laughs> you thumbing, and I the same. thumbing through them on the on the podcast, but not, not just just missed. Right, right. But we still get that digital version. I've been I've been hitting that as yep. as we speak right now. But yeah, they're they're going to be fun to watch. I, I they're they're just it's it's fun to see that they seem to be a team that everyone's happy about that they're on the radar too. I think they're a program that everyone respects and loves. Phillips Andover. I think other coaches are are excited for them and just talking to. To coaches throughout New England, that's a name you always hear coming up, Phillips Andover, right up there with the Northfield Mount Hermans, the Miltons, and the Worcesters. I mean, they're they're in the mix. Yeah. And one thing to mention too, Matt, and this is for both of us, is we, we, we're both passionate about this stuff. We're both big soccer fans. Yeah. Not, not just this level, but all levels, but this is the level we really cover extensively. And we've been publishing watch lists and power rankings throughout the month, and, and we will, and we'll, we'll cover teams throughout the season. But we're not all-knowing. We, we can't see everything. And, right. And we encourage coaches to reach out to us. Right. If there's a player that, that's been overlooked that's not getting a mention, but you feel we should be, make a case for it. We're glad right. to talk to talk soccer with anybody if it'll improve our understanding of the of the prep scene right. and you know what, what we can do. So, yeah. Well, it, that's true, and it's a great point because the prep world is ever-changing, too. So without the information, without speaking directly to a coach, you don't know if a player is still within, in a program, and that, and that happens. And that's that's kind of how sometimes players fall through the, the cracks of the, in the watch list. But I feel like we do, you and I, the same. We try to make it known when we do these watch lists. We will try to hit on as many of these talented players as we can throughout the season. We're not, by any stretch of the imagination, trying to leave kids off or intentionally leaving kids off. Watch lists are inherently difficult, just like preseason best 11s are difficult and um, I, I think everyone everyone does know that and it's it's those are those are hard choices and uh, I, I think the, the watch list for the most part are well received and I love doing them and uh, this is going to be a great season I <laughs> what, what I have the research that I've done so far and it's been a lot over the last month or two is there's a, a ton of great players in New England this year I mean there's just there's it's going to be I think, especially on the boys' side, it's going to be a fascinating couple months because I think there's a lot of teams that can make noise. There's a ton of players who may not be in that consideration for preseason best 11, which we'll have out on the website in the next week or so. But 
guys who by the end of the year won't be like, how did I leave him off the preseason best 11? Yep. This, this, this guy was phenomenal. So, and I, and I know it's the same on the girls' side as well. Yeah, and, and it's not just college committed players and superstars we want to cover here. It's every, you got 11 players on the field, you got 18 players in the program, whatever. Everyone's contributing something. Everyone's getting something out of it. Even if it's not a college scholarship, you're, you're part of a team. You're training with your team day in, day out. On, on on what's most likely a beautiful campus, it's you know it, it's it's a great way to spend your time as a as a young player. Right, right. I hope we have dropped plenty of knowledge for the upcoming prep season on you guys. And we have one last thing. I forgot to warn Mike about this, but we're going to do our extra time segment where uh, producer David Yaz hits us with three mystery questions uh, of his choice, and we do our best to answer them. So I, I didn't prepare you for this before we started, but hopefully you're on board. Let's go. It's the end of regulation. So let's move to extra time. All right. Mike looks painfully nervous. No, I'm just kidding. That's my face. <laughs> just his resting face. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes, it is time for extra time. Three mystery questions. Uh, Mike, you can go first. Question number one. What is the worst rule in soccer or a rule that you would like to change? What is the worst rule in soccer? Are we talking at this level or are we talking? You can take the question any direction you want. It could, it could be something about elig- it could be something about a hand violation or it could be something about eligibility of certain players or something. You like know that. what? The American whole substitution thing bugs it, yeah. me. It's you, you spend all weekend watching Prem League or whatever and, and when my son and I will sit there and at halftime and Arsenal's not doing what they should. Who are we subbing in? Who's going out? And you got to make the most of them because you only get five. Mm. And then you get to the to the high school and the college game, and it's it's free. It's in and out. We were at UNH Boston University Sunday night to watch yeah, watch that game. That. A couple yeah. of good good teams, and you you sub in, you take a break, you go back out. So I guess if I had to pick one that I'm not saying it's wrong, it's just different than what we're what we're used to. And and I can certainly see it at the the prep and the high school levels because you mm. want that flexibility and you want to get a lot of players in and give them a taste of it. But I think once you get up to college college soccer, I think it's I think I think it's too too permissive. Mm. Matt, your thoughts? I would say shrink the goalie box. I, I just think it's mm. it's too big, particularly when you get up to the higher levels, because you can. You know, the, the, I mean, look how much space there is for the keeper to use his hands. Right. I mean, and, and obviously the, the the problem with soccer, I don't find it a problem, but the people who who you know have their issues with soccer, it always comes down to scoring. There's not enough goals. Right. I'm sick of seeing zero zero. I'm sick of seeing one one. All right, so shrink the goalie box. Give him less space, or her, him or her, less space to use their hands. And let's let's see how that works because they don't need all that space. Mm. I mean, that they is the goalie box standard at every level, pretty much. Or? No, 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 no. Okay, no. Uh, more more so. At, this is more so an issue. I mean, at the youth levels and stuff, there's plenty of goals. And even when I go to these, right. you know, when I go to some of these younger, tra- I think at the professional level, you have to shrink the goalie box. I mean, the players are too good. Um, the keepers are too adept at, at just knowing where they are and just being being able to use their hands that far away from the net, I think is a, a detriment to, to offense. Yeah. Mm. In youth soccer, it, it's almost like a geometry lesson. Some of the <laughs> yeah. different size boxes you right. see when you go to youth fields. I remember my son playing on one in, in you know, some town in New Hampshire. It, yeah. it seemed like it went to within a couple of yards of the sideline. Right. But mm. you got this little narrow place to put yeah. across, and if not, the goalie's got the ball. Yeah. That's reminiscent of when college basketball three-point line, when it first came out, yes. everyone had a different one, including one, I think, that went inside the key, <laughs> yeah, which I is like <laughs> ridiculous. All right, question number two. Matt, you can go first. Uh, Halloween's still a couple months off, but it's, uh, it's not too early to start planning. And so if you had to wear a Halloween costume that was soccer-themed, what would you pick? Wow. Man, that is a good one. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm going to need a minute here. 
Let's see. Halloween costume. Now, it it could be a soccer figure, of course, or it could could be uh, a piece of equipment. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm trying to think of... Carlos Valderrama would be a great one. Remember him mm. back in back in the nineties with the hair and stuff. He's, yeah. he's always a player that comes to mind. Uh, you know, him and Alexi Lalas were like the two like just guys growing up that you watched and you're like they just stuck stood out because of the, the hair. Yeah, because of the hair. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. missed the hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the hair That's was great. I mean, you know, my both my kids are in a enormous messy kick right now they're both talking about being messy Messi coming to the united states has just changed everything for for young soccer players but i would probably go as a player and it would have to be a very recognizable player and valderrama or lalas are the ones that that come to mind you go you go as valderrama and your kids will go as messy that's fine that'll (laughs) work there we go mike what are you dressing up as? Yeah, the head of the Spanish uh, Football Association. <laughs> 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 okay. oh, Such good press. Like, yeah, no. he's seen better days. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. But uh, I, I don't know. You got me thinking about the hair. I, I haven't had it for a long time. So. <laughs> It'll be no, fun. It could be Lyles. I'm thinking David Luiz, yep, yep. the Brazilian player. Yep. So. Okay. That might be fun to just throw on. A, right, you uh, guys can trick or treat together. There we go. The Brazil national team. All right. Um, final question. Mike, you can start with this one. Have you ever played or witnessed a soccer game in severe weather conditions? And did it enhance the experience or make it miserable or something in between? No, it should be a written rule. In sports writing, rain never helps anything. <laughs> uh, if, if a lot of times it's going to cause a delay that you your schedule just doesn't want. No one wants to wait around while the, the, the rain passes. You want to cover the game and, and get out of there. And if you're playing in the rain, it's it's a headache. Hmm. It's, you keep a notebook dry, trying to keep a camera dry. Ugh. It's, no, so I don't no, even remember the not fun the question. No, but no, no, you, no, you answered it. You there's answered no, there's it. nothing good comes of rain. Yep, Matt. Uh, two two trains of thought on this. I I agree with Mike. If I'm covering an event in the rain, I remember back when I was covering high school sports and covering high school football. I just like pray that oh, can we just get like a sixty degree sunny day? Like I, no wind. I don't want my everything blowing around and my everything getting soaked. So yeah, to cover an event in in where we are now, I want beautiful weather every time. To play, I loved playing in rain when I when I played mm-hmm. back when I played. I played. I remember I played a game against Salem High School, Massachusetts. Uh, I went to Beverly. We played against Salem rival, and uh, it was like a monsoon late mm-hmm. October, and it, we were just every time we were scoring goals, we were just sliding. The, I mean, it was just it was phenomenal. <laughs> I, I remember like my parents were probably miserable as all hell, but like we're scoring, we're diving all over the place, we're just celebrating like crazy. It was just you're soaked. No, everyone's falling. You slide tackling. It, it was super fun. Yeah, but uh, yeah, to, to cover it, it's a nightmare. And that uh, um, that lens was when I was 17. I think I look at things probably differently as a as a grown man now. I, I just want to stay dry. Kids be, love playing. Yeah, I want to stay dry and be yeah. comfortable. Kids love playing in the rain and the snow. Yeah. And and actually, if you think about it, it it's probably a lot safer to play in wet conditions than it is extreme cold for example when the ground is frozen and and then it's like you're fearful of breaking a leg the the moment you hit the ground (laughs) but but if it's if you're falling in a nice soft patch of mud i mean yeah come on my youngest son's in third grade now so he's playing his first year of travel soccer and they had their first practice last week and it was one of those days one of those typical sunny day sunny days of the summer where it's sunny and then it just the sky opens up and it just Mm. starts pouring and they got drenched, and they were loving it. They were just, they were just <laughs> yeah. sitting there doing like passing drills, just getting soaked, but like and loving it. So, yeah, the kids the kids enjoy it. All right, you have both successfully negotiated extra time. Congratulations. Um, <clears throat> the we'll have uh, Carlos Valderrama bobblehead dolls for both of you guys <laughs> if I can find them. Man, I'd love one of those. Good stuff, David. <laughs>
Back to you, Matt. All right. Thank you, David. And thanks to Mike Z for joining the podcast. Mike, it was great as always. And I'm sure we'll be doing this again uh, in a couple months to preview the playoffs. Absolutely. It only gets better from here. Absolutely. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.